Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk Podcast. But this is a very special edition of our podcast. We have so much to talk about. The one Diamond League meet in America, the pre-classic is this weekend. We have a USATF, yet another USATF controversy. We have some good news about the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. We have 17-year-olds running 147. But that's not why this is special, folks. This is special because it's the first podcast of summer. Summer's here. My favorite day of the year, summer solstice has come and gone, and this is the 26th podcast of the year, folks. We're halfway to our goal. Gentlemen, Jonathan Galt, Weldon Johnson, this is Robert Johnson. Welcome to the podcast. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We vow to do it every week, and so far, we're almost halfway there. Oh, congratulations. I think our commitment level is pretty impressive, even though, uh, you know, you can debate about the quality. I think it's been pretty good so far, but we're trying to improve, but... Interesting. Summer solstice. That's your favorite day of the year, Robert, really? It's not like Christmas or, you know, uh, Thanksgiving or anything like that. Summer solstice. That or Halloween. I'd have to go with the summer solstice, I think. I mean, when you live in Ithaca, New York, which has more cloudy days than Seattle, you appreciate the sun. Halloween, really? I feel like Halloween stops being people's favorite day of the year, like after college. Is it really that fun as an adult? Well, th- that's true, but I I suffer from age identity crisis, much like um, I think in 15, 20 years, we're going to have that as recognized, legitimate thing. But we'll have 25, 35-year-olds going back to high school to compete. He caught himself there. He was going to say something controversial. Yeah, guys, and I do want to pat ourselves on the back. They said it couldn't be done. I issued a challenge. I said podcast once a week, and we've done it. It took to the summer solstice for me to feel like it's summer in New York. I mean, technically, yeah, summer just starts then, but wasn't until this week. It's warm. People are playing dominoes out in the streets. I don't know if I should get involved in these games. It looks like you make a little money doing this. I used to be a pretty good poker player back in the day. But we should get some feedback from people. All right, we're having a new challenge for second half of the year. Everyone go to letsrun.com slash podcast. By the time you hear this, we'll have a form up. You guys can give us feedback. What do you want to have? What do you like about the podcast? What do you not like about the podcast? What do you want to see for second half of the year? Maybe we should have more guests. We kind of had guests and we don't have guests. So what do you guys think? Well, it's hard to top having me every week as a featured guest, but you're urging them to go to letsrun.com slash podcast. I'm going to urge everyone to go to the sponsors of this show. The sponsor of this week is ourselves, letsrun.com slash shoes. Very important. This is my challenge for the week. We want everyone to go there. Please review the shoes that you currently run in. It would greatly help us. Our shoe site is kick ass. It's kind of going to be the Yelp for shoes. So you can find out what other elite runners are you running in. What's the best, what's the cheapest, where you can find a certain brand of shoe, the cheapest, where you can find uh, a great marathon shoe, whatever you're looking for. We have it. Let's run.com says shoes. Please go there and do a shoe review for us. Now that we got the sponsors plugs out of there, let's get to the, let's talk a little bit about what happened last week before moving ahead, spending most of the show probably on the pre-classic, but We've got some administrative news we need to get out there first, and let's start with the good news. It hasn't been reported yet, really, unless you're a Twitter aficionado. We're halfway there on the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials, folks. It looks like the Women's Olympic Marathon Trials will have the gold label status, and therefore anyone finishing top three will be able to go to the Olympics. So we're not going to have to worry about like Shailene Flanagan coming back from injury, getting third place in 230 on a hot, hilly course, and not going to the Olympics, folks. So... The IAAF is going to let, apparently, the Olympic trials, whether in Japan or the U.S., 
be rated on the quality of the field. And there'll be more than seven women in the top 200 in the world on the women's side. And that's what the labels you need. That's the criteria you need to be an IAAF gold race. So they're, they're letting you be ranked like that. Normally the IAAF actually ranks the races based on the previous year's field. So obviously that wouldn't apply because there was no Olympic marathon trials. So kudos to the IAAF for getting us halfway there. Um, we'll see what happens on the men's side because the men will not have seven runners in the top 200. We actually only have one U.S. man in the top 200 in the marathon. That's Galen Rupp. And only three in the top 300. Jared Ward and Scott Fowler were like 205 and 210 last time I checked. So pretty good news. I know we're huge fans of the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. Since we're sending three anyways, it should just be the top three across the line. So we're we're halfway there. Yeah, I think... I mean, the goal, we always said gold label status, but that's really not what we wanted. We want to just make sure that top three make the team. And the men's, you're never going to have, you're not going to have seven men in the top 200 just by the trials. But uh, talking to people who are close to the situation, USATF um, is still sort of working back channels, trying to, you know, get this approved because you can't just make an exception saying, USA can do whatever it wants. You know, it's a part of an organ- international organization. But I think the powers that be at the IWF, they want to have races that matter. That's the whole point of the world ranking system. So somehow have a system that lets the U.S. marathon trials select its top three for the team. So people I talk to seem confident that this would happen. But, you know, until it's done, nothing's set in stone. But I think it is a step in the right direction. At least shows that. Somebody is listening to you know some of the criticism or how things could be improved out there, and we just need need the ball to kind of keep being pushed over the finish line. Yeah, it's a small victory, and I would give I would also give credit to USATF for doing what they said they would and lobbying IAAF to sort of make some changes on this issue. I know we criticize them a fair amount, and there will be more criticism coming for a separate issue in a few minutes, but. They've done a good job here. I think they're continuing to fight for what's best for the athletes. It's up to them. They ultimately control how the team is picked, especially with the world rankings. So if this appeal to the IAAF fails, it's their responsibility to pick the team correctly. But I think what they've done so far, I commend them for at least appealing to the IAAF. Yeah. And if we did go to the rankings, I mean, probably the 400th ranked man would get in. So it probably wouldn't be an issue if, if they give the, if they give the men's race more points, probably any performance would get you in the top 400. But one thing, you know, I understand why international organization doesn't want to sort of think that they're giving mighty America a special waiver. But the argument that I would make is both Japan and the U S pick these races on very difficult courses. I mean, Japan is going to be a really hot race well before these rules came out. So they changed the rules in the middle of the qualifying window and after these races were picked. So if, if we knew that you had to run a certain time, a much faster time, a long time ago, you would have never picked the, these trials races. So these are this is a special circumstance. Like the rules were changed after the fact. That would be my argument. But enough praise for USATF, John. Let's get back to what we're used to doing and criticizing the organization and you published yesterday. I helped edit it slightly, but good, good work is you. As someone said on the message board, what is Let's Run? It's really just two trolls and then one journalist. So I, I guess the trolls are me and Weldon and, and John journalism. But some coaches reached out to you, and you, you, you've got an expose here on this Pan Am team debacle. Try to explain to people who haven't read the article what has happened. It's so unbelievable that it's, it's hard to actually believe. Yeah, it's administrative confusion mixed with incompetence mixed with who knows what, but 
here's the situation. The Pan Am Games this year are in early August, so about two weeks after USA's. Usually USA's is the selection event for the Pan Am Games. This time around, USA's is after the Pan Am, the deadline to submit the team, which USATF said was June 22nd. So they're going instead, the USATF selection criteria posted on the website says they're going to go off the 2019 performance list. So any performance from January 1st till June 10th, 2019 for track and field events, that is how they're picking the team. Well, that's what they published. Then there was an email last week sent out to athletes saying, actually, that's not how we're picking the team. And the email is it basically says, when we said the 2019 comprehensive list, we actually meant a list that incorporates all performances in 2018 and 2019. They're basically saying they're picking the team one way, even though it's they, they wrote on the website they're picking the team one way, but they actually picked the team the other way. The problem with that is that's not how they pick the team in every event. In, in most of the events, they picked it off the combined 2018-2019 list, but then some events, like the men's 800 and the men's 5,000, they picked it off the 2019 list only. And then in other events, the men's 1,500, Johnny Gregoric, who would have been in the top two in either list, he wasn't offered a spot at all, even though he would make it under both situations. So then he told me, Actually, they contacted him on Tuesday and offered him a spot. So now he's going in the 1500, but they're going to have to kick out one of the people who they already selected, which is Eric Avila or Isaac Yorks. So it's just a huge, complicated mess. No one knows how they're picking the team. Athletes and coaches are confused. And if you want to maybe get some clarity on it, maybe listen to my read my article because it's a bit more concise explanation. But it's just a huge mess. Well, John, that was quite the explanation. I think I can do it quicker. They published that they were going to use the 2019 list. They said in reality, we meant to use the 2018 and 19 list. And in actual reality, they just picked it however the hell they wanted and there was no set rules. And now they got called out and now they're actually going to go back and use the 2018, 2019 list. It's crazy. It's nuts. But at least now they're going to follow a set of consistent rules to pick the team. This That also means some people were, you get the word, hey, you're going to the Pan Am games. You're very excited. You tell your family and then... What now, like a week later, they got to go back and say, oh, oops, we screwed up. I mean, th- the thing was, this was going to go to arbitration. They were going to lose some cases for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now. And yeah, I feel I feel bad for the athletes because I was talking to Robert about this yesterday. And he was saying, you know, when Weldon, when you ran at the Pan Am Games, that was one of the highlights of your career, getting to represent the United States. Some of these athletes, they found out they were named to the team and they were, I'm sure they were very excited. They get to wear the USA singlet. They get to go for a medal. Uh, not on the global stage, but you know, Pan Am Games, it's, it's better than nothing. And now they don't get that moment. And mainly because of incompetence or a screw up on USATF part is the way I see it. And USATF, by the way, we have tried to reach out to them on this issue. Uh, they have not responded to any of our requests for interviews. Better than nothing. I think that's a good motto for my running career. <laughs> so my question is, well, congratulations on your summary of John's lengthy description of this debacle anyways the question i have john is normally when someone like makes up the rules as they go along they're trying to favor somebody so what do we think this 2018 2019 business coming out at the last minute was like what athletes did they want to put on this team you would think that they were trying to get someone on the team that wouldn't have been on normally which doesn't seem to make sense because if you haven't run fast this year why, why do you think this should be on the team or it's just just really like 
a matter of incompetence. Someone forgot to say 2018, 2019. But then how do you explain them having three different sets of teams? One from 2018. I mean, is it incompetence, corruption, favoritism? Robert, there's something called Hanlon's Razor. It says, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. And I think it applies in this situation. I think they meant to go by 2018, 2019 all along. That's not what they posted on the website. Someone realized this way too late in the process and said, oh, this is actually what we meant, but it's not what we said. And now it's just a huge mess. I think at this point, the best solution would have just been, okay, they put the 2019, they said, we're picking it based on the 2019 list. Just pick the team that way. That way you get people who are in shape who have been running their times this year. Like now we've got people who haven't been running these distances. Like Lena Irby has been named in the 200 and 400, even though she's nowhere near as fast as she was last year. I mean, she's still, she was the SEC champion doors, but you know, she has, she's barely raced outdoors. And some, we have other people in other events in a similar situation. It's some like Kayla Edwards. She's run one 800 all year. And it was an indoor race in like, January or February, and suddenly she's named in the 800 because of what she ran last year. It's kind of ridiculous to me. And what some people may not realize is the reason why all these athletes want to be on this team because it really helps your your Olympic ranking. So this can help you get into the Olympic Games by doing well at the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, Pan Am Games. Excuse me, Pan Am Games. And it's just, I don't know. Like, but then how does Johnny Gregoric not on the team when he would have been on the top of both lists? So I, I, I really try, you know, Weldon, John wrote the article and I was editing it. Weldon saw the headlines. Like, can you try to tone it down? We're always negative. I'm like, Weldon, we have to be negative here. I mean, this is really incompetence. And there's a thread on this and let's run. Someone's like, we really just need to clean house and just start a new at USATF. Like fire, literally fire everybody and then post the jobs for new. And that sounds crazy, but I, I honestly think a clean slate, like just there's so many people like, like ingrained in, in, in their positions and the way things have always been done. There, there's no creative thinking. There's back to, there's incompetence. And we had this four years ago. This is going to end up in court. Like if I was on the 2019 list and I'm not on this team, I'm irate. And why would you want to do 2018, 2019 list anyways? Like if you haven't run a time by June 26th, I'm sorry, you're not in tip top shape. Well, the deadline was June 10th, according to, the original thing. So, but I agree. You have time to run the time if you're planning on running at this meet. Although let's speaking of people who haven't run and it's June 26, we're going to have a number of stars coming, making their season to debuts this weekend. And this weekend folks is a big weekend. Weldon and I will be slogging away at the computers, working hard yet again with a little fanfare behind a dark lit room, probably working on the weekends, but John will be taking an all expenses pay trip out to lovely California to enjoy the biggest single-day track and field meet in America, the Prefontaine Classic. John, how does it feel to be working for a company that gives you such amazing perks? It's great. Honestly, no, it's it's uh, it's awesome. I kind of was dropping some hints over the last few weeks. It would be nice to go to the Pre-Classic, and you know, you guys decided to send me, which I'm appreciative of. Uh, pr- appreciative of. It's a great meet. I've been three of the last five years. This will be my fourth pre-classic. So uh, you get to run, you bump into people, you run into people in bars, you sort of get to hear the word on the street, but then you also get to see a heck of a track meet. And it really is like, if you look at these distance fields, they're terrific. Sprint fields, very strong as well. I actually don't know how fast the sprint straightaway is at Stanford. I I know they ran Pac-12s there a little, uh, you know, a few years, but 
I have no idea how fast it is, but I'm like really excited to see Michael Norman, Christian Coleman, Shawnee Miller Weibo. I mean, these fields are terrific as you always. And so, yeah, great. I'm very much looking forward to being out there and uh, maybe drinking a beer or two on Let's Run's Dime once the meet's over. John, are you going to know where to go? This is the first pre-classic, I assume most people know this, not in at Hayward Field. You know, they're renovating the new Hayward Field, or building the new Hayward Field. So this one's at Stanford. John, John, have you ever been to the Stanford track? I have, actually. It was uh, summer of 2007, or maybe summer of 2008, when I was looking at colleges. Actually, I mean, I wasn't good enough to... wasn't fast enough to run at Stanford, but I was looking around the campus anyway. And so I did visit their track, but I've never been to a meet there. So this will be my first time. Wow. It's one of my favorite tracks for my better than nothing career. John, do you know which bars to go to? That's that's actually no. I I need uh, suggestions from people. What do do we have an equivalent to the Wild Duck or Track Town Pizza in Palo Alto? Where should I be going? I remember. I think it was last year. I went to Track Town Pizza and I saw Sifan Hassan and Yomif Kajelcha and Pete Julian from the Nike Oregon Project, and they were ordering pizza the night before the meet. Uh, they weren't running at the meet that year, but they were getting some pizza. I thought that was interesting. So. Where yeah, let me know what the hotspots are, readers. Uh, either hit me up on Twitter or uh, send an email to Jonathan Gold at Let's Run and let me know where the best best spots in Palo Alto are. Kind of worried about the cost of this. I imagine a pitcher of beer in Palo Alto could be like a hundred dollars with all the dot com billionaires over there. But John, we we don't have a preview up yet on the website. I haven't even looked at the fields. Which race are you most excited for, or what do you want to talk about? Looks like maybe you want to talk about. What mid-D distance event is an American most likely to win? I think that's the question I use to sort of frame this meet. So, Robert, I'm, I'm not going to go through every single field right now immediately, but I think it's fair to assume in most cases, the best runners in the world will be in that event. Like women's steeple, Beatrice Chipcoach, Nora Gerudo are both there. Men's two mile, we've got Selmon Borrega has entered. You know, women's 800, we haven't had the field announced there yet, but... Casta Semenya is running it. Women's 3K, Genzebe de Baba, Helen O'Beary, women's 1500, Laura Muir. You know, we, we have Shelby Houlihan. Then Men's Mile, we have Chariot and uh, Manningoy both running that and Jakob Ingebrigtsen. So I said I wouldn't go through every field in detail. I went through there in modest detail. But we've also got all pretty much all the top Americans are running these races as well. And my question was which American is most likely to win a diamond league distance event, or it doesn't have to be the diamond league official, but which one's most likely to win. So here are your options. Women's steeple. We have Emma Coburn, Courtney Frerichs, Colin Quigley, and also Ali Ostrander and Mel Lawrence men's two mile, Paul Shalimo, Eric Jenkins, women's 800. We haven't had a field announced, but RJ Wilson's really the only American capable of winning. And if Semenya's in that race, I would say no Americans capable of winning, but RJ Wilson, we're assuming she's in that race. Women's 3K, uh, there's really no chance. It's Shannon Osika, Carissa Schweizer, and Rachel Schneider. And that field they're going up against has Sifan Hassan, Amazayana, Gonzebe Dababa, Helen O'Beary. I mean, that's a ridiculously loaded event. Women's 1500, Alex Ephraimson, Kate Grace, Shelby Houlihan, Danny Jones. Then the Bowman Mile, we've got Ben Blankenship, Matthew Centrowitz, Craig Engels. Johnny Gregoric, Clayton Murphy. So of those events, I want you guys to tell me which one are we most likely to see an American victory in? 
I mean, this is like going to be a boring discussion. There's only one that we even have a chance. Women's 15? Women's 15? No. Women's steeple. What do you mean? Shelby Bullhead won the 1500 this meet last year. This is like a dumb question. Okay, men's two mile, no chance. Women's 800, no chance. Women's 3K. Wait, no. Chalimo just has no chance. You're just totally writing him off. Correct. He hasn't been running great yeah, so far this year. I mean, who's in there? Are, are the studs in there like Borrega and the 1243 guys? No chance. Yes, Elamon Borrega's in there. Men's mile? No, no chance. So, I mean, we do have the Olympic champion. Just, just saying. There's two things in this race. One, we got to talk about who's coming, who's making their debuts. There's so many people making their debuts in this race. Matthew Centrowitz, seasonal debut. Shelby Houlihan, seasonal debut. Colleen Quigley, seasonal debut, right? Um, Almazayana, seasonal debut. Faith Kipiegon, seasonal debut. I mean, those are studs right there. So it's exciting they're, they're back, all these people. I would say, yeah, normally Houlihan might have a chance of winning it. She did win it last year, but not in her first race of the year when other women, two women have already run 355. No, she's not going to win this race. So that and uh, well, Hel- Zemi Dababa is not in this race, and Sifan Hassan is not in this race. So the two women who run three fifty five are not running this race. Robert, I thought you said Laura Muir was in the race. She hasn't run three fifty five this year. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, it's either the women's steeple or women's fifteen. Still, women's steeple, I think, is the best. I mean, and you want to know how many races? How many races did Shelby Houlihan run? Last year, before she ran pre, she ran one race outdoors, 4.06 at the Brian Clay invite on June, on April 20th. That's the only race she ran before pre last year. And then she came out and ran 3.59.06. I don't think, I think it's silly to write off someone who was one of the best 1500 runners in the world just because she hasn't raced yet this year. I mean, that's pretty amazing if you think about Houlihan. Last year, she'd run 4.06 coming into this meet. I think she raced indoors though, but. She wins pre, and no one viewed her as like a top 1,500-meter runner. I mean, rewind one year ago, what's probably, what, 14 months ago, because pre was earlier, or 13 months ago. And Shelby who ends up you know, coming off of 406 into pre, and we would have said, no chance in hell she wins this race. She wins this race, becomes one of the top 1,500-meter runners in the world, pretty much doesn't lose until, what, the end of the season? I mean, she loses what, the Diamond League final. But what a run she had. But it's good to see her opening up because USAs are a month away, essentially. And if you haven't run a month before USAs, it's time to get a little bit worried. So she's opening up. Centro's opening up. Um, Of the really big names, I think that leaves one. One American who we haven't seen this year. Anyone? Evan Jager. Exactly. I mean, we sort of mentioned this a few weeks ago when Craig Vargin posted on the message board. I, I texted Evan Jager last week. Asked him what his status was. He said he has a foot injury. He might be giving some more details in a little bit, but plans as of now is planning on running at USA's, uh, but he's been dealing with a foot injury. There's a chance. There's a chance, folks, that John Galt may have him on as a guest of next week's podcast or at least an interview with him if we don't get him on the podcast. So stay tuned. Uh, let's cross your fingers that. But um, I want to say one thing, though, Welton. You, all right, you said Shelby Houlihan, no one would have given her a prayer to win the pre-classic last year. I think that's unfair. She finished fourth in the world at World Indoors in the 1500 and fifth in the 3000. I, and Sivan Hassan wasn't one of the women who beat her in the 1500, wasn't running at pre. Kinzebi Dababa, who also beat her in the 1500, wasn't running at pre. Laura Muir was just finishing up a big, you know, graduating from veterinarian school. So she had done a lot of studying. Like, 
To say that Houlihan was a complete nobody this time last year isn't entirely true. I don't think she was favored to win, but when I saw her win, I wasn't that surprised given how well she had run indoors. Well, John always has to let the facts get in the way of a good hot take by Weldon. But um, yeah, the the the, the pre classic women's field last week last year was a little bit down, as John said. I actually went back as John was talking and looked up our preview from what we wrote, and we did even mention her. We said, "Don't forget the Americans," led by. Well, we we, we said, "Don't forget Shelby Houlihan." We actually picked Simpson for the win, so we only listed four women to, as potential winners last year in her poll. Jenny Simpson, Dawit Simon, Lamar, Shelby Houlihan, and other. So that was the um, that was that was your your options to vote in our pre classic poll last year. And twelve percent of the people did pick Shelby Houlihan. So she was our third choice last year. But Robert, you so you said you think the Steeples are best chance to win, obviously, because you said that was the only chance for an, an American to win that race. So you feel confident based on what you've seen so far. The, well, I guess I'm wondering, is are you just saying that's the only place we have a chance to win, or are you predicting an American win for Emma Coburn here and Courtney Frerichs, who's running her, her season opener? No, I'm not, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not predicting an American win. I'm the racist. I'm the racist against the white people. I I, I never pick American wins. I, I'm always underestimating our, our, our medal totals and definitely not going to pick. I mean, maybe I should pick the 1500 because I feel like, in general, Americans have a better chance in the 1500 than the steeple. I, I just... I guess Shelby's a B. So if, if Hassan's not in there, man, neither the 355. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if Beatrice Shipkowicz forgets to, to run the water jump, I mean, who's who's significantly better than than, than Coburn? Well, Nora Gerudo just beat Shipkowicz at the Lost Diamond League in Oslo. She ran 903, Chipkowicz 904, Hyvin Kiang 907, Emma Coburn 908. My, my thought process is that we, we know that Coburn can run nine flat and you know right around there. And not many women in the world can do that. Uh, really only one woman is significantly better, ever better than that. So uh, Coburn thought, well, she ran what, 905 last time out or something like that, 906? 908. 908. She thought she should run faster. So she probably thought she should run 905 or 906. She probably thinks she should be close to nine minutes. So I, I think... I don't know. She has a shot, but if all, the women are already running nine minutes, I don't see how she's going to beat them. So I, I'm predicting. I, mean, I, I don't know which one's a better odds. I'm just going to say zero American victories. I'm starting to think more for Houlihan now, actually. Okay, so if I set the over-under at half an American win in a distance event, you would take under? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I don't even have to think about it. I'm going correct as well. I mean, if there was a men's eight, I would take it. Yeah, it's... it's I. Is there going to be a distance night, John? Like B? No, no, it's all uh, it's all on Sunday this year. This is idiotic. This is Stanford, but the weather's perfect. They should be running like a twelve thirty five k the night before the pre classic. Yeah, they, they're doing a two mile again. I don't what like who cares about the two mile? Why is this a two mile? Like make it a three k, make it a five k. Unless someone's going to break the two mile world record, which spoiler alert, they're not. It's seven fifty eight. Uh, why even run the two mile? Can anyone give me an explanation there? Better for American TV. People don't, How? People don't know what a 3,000 is. People who are watching the pre-classic will know what a 3,000 is, Robert. Well, I, I'm i going to say the question I posed to you guys, I will go with 1,500 as our best chance for win, but uh, Americans' best chance for win. I keep saying us like I'm part of the Team USA. I'm not. Uh, but I would say, yeah, probably Houlihan just because we don't totally know. I would say Laura Mew is the favorite in that race, though. Then probably women's steeple because we've also got we've got two bites of the apple there with 
Courtney Ferricks and, and Emma Coburn. And then you would have to say two mile with Chalimo, then probably Bauman mile with Centroitz, uh, Clayton Murphy, Johnny Gregoric. But I, I, I would go with Timothy Cherry on that race because he's been pretty unbeatable in Diamond Leagues. But uh, yeah, all, all those races are going to be great. I mean, I'm really excited. Women's 1500, I mean, you've got Faith Kipyugon coming back, the Olympic champion, the world champion. That's going to be really exciting. I guess the, the question I had for you guys, so Robert talked about these people coming back. We have three Olympic champions in the distance events alone who are making their season debuts. There's Elma Zayana, the 10,000 Olympic champion and world record holder. She's running the 3,000. Uh, we have Faith Kipyugon, as we mentioned, the world champion in the 1500 and the Olympic champion in the 1500, and she's running the 1500 at pre. And we have Matthew Centrowitz, his first race for Bowman Track Club since leaving NOP. It's like, you know, Durant joining the Warriors. Out of those three, which one is most likely to win? Which one's most likely to DNF? And which one's most likely to also ran? This is sort of a variant on fuck, marry, kill. So what do you guys say? Well, first of all, John, I'm interested in the Warriors analogy. Are you saying like the existing Warriors because they're not the champs? Because I don't know. I think a lot of people would rank the NOP higher than the Bowerman. Yeah, I think I was saying more maybe a decision. It's not. It's not a great analogy. I was. It's like sort of he's joining a rival group and the Warriors and you know he joined the Warriors right after they had the Thunder had lost the Warriors in the playoffs. So maybe I was saying it should have been like maybe Johnny Damon joining the Yankees or something like that would have been more appropriate. And that's an old ton story. Like he won an Olympic gold in our Salazar. Like why did he leave? Was he pissed that Craig Engel? I mean that uh, Clayton Murphy joined the team and basically Salazar's trying to coach's replacement. I mean that would be a fascinating article. I think the most likely to DNF is obviously Ayana. I don't generally see people DNF Miles John. So oh, I guess it's, sorry. I should have said DNF or DNS. Like just who doesn't start at all because they're still injured. I think the DNS would be Centro. I mean, Bowerman people never race. Um, if if Ayana and Kip Yeager are get on a plane to go over there, I mean, I imagine those arrangements have already been made. But I, I'm really excited to see all three of them. I mean, Ayana was so good before she went out with her injury. Um, Kip Yeager as well. So, I mean, the Olympic champion. I mean, I, I think Centro has really no chance of winning that race. So, I... I but I'm fascinated to see how he looks. So, I mean, I'm really excited to see all three of them. But in terms of um, the win, I, I, I guess I would say, I think Kip Yegon has the best chance of winning a race. The question I really have about pre-classic, since I'm obsessed with the hype that we give to teenage phenoms, particularly on the women's side, folks, will Alexa Frameson PR? It, it bothers me. John used to get on me. Like the first time Mary Kane didn't PR, I remember said, John, Remember this, John? I was like, Mary Kane did not PR this year. He's like, oh, yeah, but she focused on the 3,000. It's not a big deal. I said, no. She won World Juniors, and you're saying, oh, she didn't PR. She's in trouble. She got second at USA's behind Jamie Simpson. She won World Juniors. I don't think it was time to panic in 2014, Robert. Um, Jonathan, has she ever beaten her 2013 PR, or was I proven correct? You were proven correct. I think you just jumped the gun. You can, you can, you can be right about something, but for the wrong reasons, Robert. John, I am one of the world's top coaches particular females even though people know me for coaching at my cornell distance whoa 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 the 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 bullshit director in your room is just blaring right now five alarms sorry people maybe start that sentence again how am i qualified to talk on this i said well i coached a woman the first person i ever coached 
was a woman to the USAT Nationals in the women's steeplechase. She was a pioneer of the event. So I've been following it for a long time. But no. How'd she finish, Robert? Not well, not well. Uh, that's a good question. Let's go back and look up the results. I don't know what you're uh, We don't need to do that. So, if Framson ran 403.39 in 2015, and unlike Mary Kane, she hasn't just bottomed out. I mean, she hasn't been horrific. She's run 406 in 2016, 404 in 2017, 407 in 2018, and 404 again. So last year, she came within 0.67 of her PR. And this year, she's already run... Oh, that's this year. Excuse me. She's run 4406, which is within 0.67 of her PR. Can she do it? I think so. She's actually run 404 twice this year. She ran 404 twice within the span of four days in China. She ran 404.53 in the Shanghai Diamond League on May 18th. And then three days later, she ran 404.06 in Nanjing. This one, she's not going to have to travel halfway around the world. It's a nice local meet for her. You know, it's a pretty easy trip down from Portland to uh, Stanford. I think she PRs because I think the race will be fast enough. So Alexa Ephraimson. And remember, she would just be, if she had gone to college, she would just be graduating right now. She is the same age as Danny Jones. She may actually be younger. Alexa Ephraimson was born 20th February, 1997. Danny Jones, who was running this race for Colorado, was born on 21st of August, 1996. So it seems weird to say that, but Alexa Ephraimson is actually younger than Danny Jones. Now, Weldon, I, I just want to go back. Do you have an opinion on our the Ayana Kipugan Centrowitz thing in terms of win DNS or uh, also ran. Well, John, I'm glad you brought that back. One, I think this is a really big run, first of all, for Faith Kipugan. Coming back from childbirth is always an interesting proposition. How See how that goes. Um, she's still got a ways to go to Worlds, but you know she was the dominant force at 1500. So it'll be interesting to see. Does she put up a credible performance this weekend? And if so, you know, this is going to be a, one of the premier events of the world championships. So she hasn't raced since 2017. Ayana hasn't raced since 2017 either. I feel like coming back from an injury, though, is usually a little more standard. Um, maybe that's just because I'm a guy and I can't relate to giving birth. So, and then Centro, changing groups, what have you. Who's going to, I don't know, man. I'm going to go Centro does the worst. I know that wasn't the question asked, <laughs> but he there might be a rabbit. That's not his type of race. I don't know. That guy always runs well. Why am I saying that? That's stupid. The other two are just so good. Usually, no matter what they run, I feel like th- they do all right. I think all, they're all three Olympic champions, you know? I think actually all three do all right. <laughs> Everybody has a nice time. Weldon's just like uh, living in the happy, fun world there. Thank you. I think Centro might need a race the most before this. So, so that I guess that's why I'm sort of discounting him a bit. And so Everson's PR is still from high school. Yes. I think that's crazy because she's kind of had, you know, she's been like a, I don't know how you want to say it, moderately successful pro. And she was this high school phenom. She wasn't as good as Mary Kane, obviously. She ran faster, actually, I think, but not the success that the USA is in the world, that sort of thing. But it just shows, like, if you're a top teenage girl distance running phenom, making it to the next level is not an easy process. I commend her and, you know, Mary Kane even, like, sticking with it and seeing what happens. So it'd be nice to see her get a PR. 
Yeah, I mean, Ephraimson, you look at our results at USA's, and Sarah Lodge Butler actually had a nice piece in Runner's World um, this week that was essentially saying, like, Ephraimson turned pro in high school, her career is still working out pretty well. They're not all horror stories. You know, it's sort of, there's some success. Noah Lyles, obviously, Drew Hunter did that as well. Um, so, yeah, she was sixth at the tr- Olympic trials in 2016 and fifth at USA's in 2017. She didn't make the final last year, but those are some pretty solid results. And to return, just to return one more time to the question I posed. Now, I've done some digging here that you guys didn't. I checked their social media accounts because you can sort of get an idea of whether someone's going to be racing if they're excited about it. So, Centrowitz is talking, oh, this is my last in- race before, my last workout before pre. I think he's going to run. I don't think he'll run that well because the field is just really good. I don't think he'll win. So I'm calling him for the also ran. Kippy gone. I haven't seen anything on her social media. So maybe she just doesn't have a big presence. But to me, if I haven't heard anything about her, that means I pick her most likely to DNS just because I don't know for sure. Alma Zayana tweeted like, I think today that she's excited to be racing at pre-classic. I don't think she'd be saying that if she wasn't making the trip over. So I guess by the process of elimination, I'll say she's most likely to win. But I also don't think she's going to be beating Helena Beery or Gonzabe uh, de Barber or uh, Sifan Hassan in that 3K because it's loaded. So that's sort of my social media influenced uh, picks there. Okay, Win also run in DNS. I, I can do that. Win is Kipiagan because the field's easier. DNS is central because he's closer. Ayana had to fly over there. I mean, if she's on the start list, she's starting. So I guess I'll go with her for also run. All right, everybody. We need to ha- have a break here. We're past the halfway mark in the podcast. Oh, uh, Everyone in Electronic, guys, we want you to do this. Grab your phone. Robert, John, I don't see your phones coming up. Okay. We'll open the Apple Podcast app. Click on, you know, the Let's Run.com podcast. Scroll to the bottom. You keep scrolling. And then right there, you see ratings and reviews. And, per- and then hopefully you make the right choice and click the right number of stars. Come on, people. We need your reviews. It helps us out. You need to do that. Or, I guess preferably... We, you can go to letsrun.com slash shoes and fill out a shoe review. And speaking of shoes, we'll be announcing this week the 10 winners of the Hoka shoes. Hoka was a huge partner of Let's Run for the month of May. We gave out 10 free pairs of shoes. I think I've rounded up eight of the winners, and they've given their their uh, selections. They get any free ch- shoe they want. Seven of the eight, I believe, maybe six of the seven, have picked the Hoka Carbon X, the new shoe. There's new colors out, red and blue. They're actually, I actually like them more than the free color they gave me. So, John, Robert, you guys have not been doing your podcast with Carbon X shoes on. Shame on you because you don't you don't have a pair yet. But right in time for July Fourth, they have red and blue colors available. So, get your patriotism on. I'm struggling on this task that my big brother has given me. I feel like an old man. Like it says, listen now. I click on the podcast and I don't see anywhere to review it. Okay, so open the podcast app, Robert. Go to library. Go to shows. Go to letsrun.com. Have you done that? Yeah. Okay. Scroll down. Well, there's a lot of shows there. Oh, there we go. 40 ratings. 4.5. Rojo is the best. He should do his own podcast. Galt sucks. Wow. Okay, it doesn't really say that. But guys, enough about reviewing the shoes. Can we go back to my obsession about talking about former teenage phenoms? And I realize I'm obsessed with male teenage phenoms too. I mean, German Fernandez this week, someone was listening, linking to his 355 mile that he ran solo at the Big 12 meet. It was incredible. Anyways, uh, 
if Alexa Frampton is going to PR, and, and I, I didn't read this Runner's World article, John, but yeah, she was sixth in 2016 and fifth in 2017. But when you're like a 404 pro, you're really not relevant on the world scene. And then last year, she didn't make the final. So it wasn't looking good. This has been a, a great surge back into relevance. But John, you say she's going to PR. So that would mean 403 or better. So the question I have is, in my mind, I view Danny Jones as being better than her. I don't think if Alexa Framston was in college, she would be a dominant figure like Danny Jones. So if Framston's better than, am I, do you agree with me, John, that Danny Jones is better than Alexa Framston? Could Danny Jones run 404 in Shanghai? Well, that's what I'm asking you. I don't, I don't think so. I, who I wins don't think this so. race? I mean, who wins this race? Between the two, Framston or Jones, in my mind, I, I think it's Danny Jones. Why wouldn't she win this race? Or it could just be a bias that the pros are so much better than the college runners, you don't realize it. But to me, no, Danny Jones is the real deal. And I think she's better than, than Alexa Framston. But if she's better than her and Alexa's going to run 403, then that means Danny Jones has got to run, by definition, probably 402 or even 401. And that's getting us into close to collegiate record territory. I mean, Danny Jones, her PR is 407.33. Okay. Last year, she was fifth at USA's. So fifth at USA's usually you're more than faster than 407. The question is though, she ran the 5,000 at NCAAs because she wasn't sure that her 1500 speed was going to be around, you know, come around in time. I'm just not confident she has the wheels right now to run 403 or 404. And we know Ephraimson can run 404. Danny Jones, I think by the time of USA's, I think she could get into a 402, 403 shape. But getting in that kind of fitness and actually, you know, that that's a few, that's a month from now. I don't know if you just hop her into the pre-classic right now. She's going to run 402, 403. And like you said, that would be the second fastest time ever. Only Jenny Simpson has ever run faster in college, 359 at pre. 10 years ago, happy 10-year anniversary to your uh, amazing run at pre-Jenny Simpson. So... Yeah, I'm going to take Ephraimson over Jones in this race. I know that you think we think of Jones as this unstoppable winning machine because she cleans up in college, but Ephraimson's been rating. If Ephraimson ran th- her high school PR four hundred three, will be the second fastest time ever by a collegian. Good perspective. I'm still picking Jenny Jones to beat her. I mean, she won the USA. She won, yes, she ran the five. She didn't think her fifteen hundred speed was there, but running the five thousand is good base work. That was like a month ago. She smoked everybody in the 5,000 at NCAAs. I, I think she's going to do it here. And when we, were, when we were breaking down the races earlier in the year, I mean, the 1,500 is a non-Diamond League 1,500. So maybe that's making me think that maybe Houlihan has a better chance of winning that than, than Coburn and the Steeple. Okay, I agree with Robert's sentiment that we think of Danny Jones as like kind of like the better runner. But the facts say Everson's got a better 3K PR, a better 1,500-meter PR, I mean, Danny Jones, obviously, you know, it's a cross tight on stuff. She's probably better at longer distances. Um, so it's interesting. One question I wonder is, do you think it's easier for someone like Danny Jones? Just she's gone through the NCAA ranks, learned to compete well, done well there. Now she enters the world as a pro. So she sets her sights higher and it's sort of, is it easier for her to go from where she's at to make a jump and becoming a sub four runner? Whereas your Ephraimson, you've been sort of thrown into the pros for four years just getting your clock cleaned and running 404 and 405 and thinking I'm terrible. I don't know. Is it just harder? Do you think to, to make the jump? Do you think like having the levels, high school, college pro, I mean, there are huge jumps at every level, but do you think who someone who sort of conquers them and makes them easier to go to that next level? Or am I just making this up? No, I, I see it. 
I agree with you well then, because I think you need to be to make that leap from high school star to pro star. It's such a huge gap. You need to just have exceptional otherworldly talent. You need to be someone like Noah Lyles, who, I mean, he when he was in high school, he was already one of the best in the world. He got fourth at the Olympic trials in the 200. And so he maybe stepped in and, you know, then he was fine. But yeah, for someone like Ephraimson, I mean, she's not running at the front of these races when she was starting out as a pro, whereas Danny Jones, she gets to develop, she gets to learn to win. I think that's huge, really. I mean, because she is a, she's someone who could be contending for medals one day, and she just you learn strategies, how to win races, you get experience, you get a lot of this. I mean, obviously, Alexa's getting experience as well, but it's sort of, I think you're getting a more variety, a greater variety of experience in college, just different race styles and running from the front, running from the back, learning to win this way, learning to win that way. Yeah, jumping up to college and then jumping up to pros that gap is just smaller from college to pros and if you're already a really good collegian you know you can maybe just get a bump from racing against professionals whereas if you're Ephraimson, you're not really going to get a bump when you're 22 years old because you've been racing pros for years already so i think you make a good point well then yeah interesting conversation well then you do see a lot of women make some huge jumps you know in in the 1500 from college to pros, remember some of those Florida State runners, John from from uh, England. The, the, she ended up winning a medal. Her name is Hannah England. Thank you, Hannah England. Thank you <laughs> from England. That jump is is vast, and it's kind of the jump that most interestingly that actually we've talked about this before. I think maybe not on the podcast, but on the website, that the average Kenyan that goes pro, like basically they have to be like world class, or there's nowhere for them to run. It's a very hard jump for them. And I think why some of the Kenyan Americans do so well is these aren't necessarily the best Kenyans at 16, 17 in, in, in Kenya, but they come over here and they have intermediate goals. And then actually when they become a U.S. citizen, it's even easier for them because instead of thinking, oh, I've got to run 1255 to be relevant, they think if I can run 1305, I, I might make a team. And then they run 1305 and then they, they go from there. So, you know, it, it's a good question. Uh, one other thing about this women's 1500 that I'm excited about I am going to predict, going out on a limb, folks, uh, I love our Canadian listeners, I am predicting Canadian national record. It has been 24 years. Is 1985 24 years ago, John, or 34 years ago? Help me out. Before. 34 years ago. Oh, my God. He's right. This man has a degree from Princeton University. Former mathematics instructor, five in the BC calculus exam in high school. I'm not going to brag about my PSAT score in the math. I did that in another podcast and was mocked for it. But Lynn Williams, night back in Brussels, 1985. Folks, it is early in the morning here. That's why my brain's not working well. Four flat. 10.30 for the record. <laughs> well, I was up late. Okay, I was up late watching baseball highlights. Not really. Anyways, um, Lynn Williams ran a four flat point two seven. Gabrielle Debu Stafford, who now trains with Laura Moose Group, she's run four flat 46 this year she's actually run close twice she ran 401 28 as well so i feel like she's po- poised to break it canada could have its first sub four ever which would be exciting they also had their first sub 210 marathon this year all in the same year very exciting well yeah that was that was lost yet with by cam levens but you know saint lost 12 months uh melissa bishop remember her she also gave birth last year 800 star she was fourth at the 2016 olympics Second of the 2015 Worlds, she is running the 1500 at this race, in this meet. She doesn't normally run the 1500. Her PR is 409. I just, I'm fascinated to know, A, why she's running this event, and B, to see what she'll do. You know, she's only raced, she's raced twice this year, a couple low-key meets in Canada. She ran 201 for 800, she ran 409, 1500, which was her PR. 
Um, previous PL was four nine, but just slightly slower on the fraction. So I'm not saying she's going to challenge Gabriella Dubu Stafford, but I am interested to see what Melissa Bishop does. In you know, I can't remember her ever running a high profile fifteen hundred. So this should be interesting. One other thing about this meet, I mean, there's no five thousand. It's sort of what we're going to see in the future, unfortunately, in the Diamond League. Like, no long distance races. Nobody cares about a two mile or a 3K. You know, we were praising you, IWF a little bit earlier in the show. I, I still think they need to realize that a couple 5,000s on the circuit are not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, I think, I can't believe they think an hour and a half TV broadcast is the key to making track and field relevant and having the same, I don't know, like have the same people race six times a season. I think you don't necessarily need the same people to race that much, maybe four times. And I think a more set schedule, like the Diamond League is always on a Friday night or Saturday night or Saturday, whatever it is, would be better. It's just so kind of haphazard now, and then it's not every week, and then there's three meets in one week. It's kind of hard to follow. If, if it became like you know Thursday night track, Saturday night track, whatever it is, that would be better. But at least they're trying something new, so I give them that much credit. I think we should quickly, you know, I think there's some great sprint matchups at pre, I don't know where to begin. Maybe the women's hundred meters. Cause we had a hot one at the Jamaican championships. Yeah. That's going to be fun because what we've got here, Shelly Ann Fraser price, five time global champion. Definitely in, in some people's minds, she's the goat of the women's hundred. She's running this race after just coming off a 1073, getting beat out by a few thousands by Lane Thompson, the Jamaican champs. And she is facing, in this race, Shakari Richardson, the 19-year-old American NCAA champion from LSU. She just turned pro. This is a pro debut. She ran 10.75, collegiate record, at NCAAs. These two are squaring off. You know, you've got some other women. You've got Mary Jose Talu in there, who's a silver medalist uh, from World Indoors last year. You've got Aaliyah Hobbs, last year's U.S. champion. But really, it's a two-woman race. It's old versus young. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, she's another woman coming back from pregnancy so i'm developed i'm sensing a theme developing here at us at the pre-classic and yeah the 19 year old american superstar against the 32 year old jamaican who might be the goat i mean who do you guys got in this race i think you gotta go with shelly ann fraser price just because i don't know she ran great this past weekend you know she's still in form a 19 year old freshman i don't know what she's gonna be doing three weeks later after turning pro so I'm going with the Olympic champion. That's my exact reasoning. We just don't know Richardson's in uncharted territory. How's she going to hold up after the NCAA season? We do know that Shelly Ann Fraser Price knows what she's doing, and she just ran 10.73. So I think that is my pick as well. How about speaking of Olympic 100 meter champions? What, do you have something to say, Robert, or what? It will be interesting to me to see how fast. They run. I mean, Shelly and Fraser Price has only run 1075 seven times in her life. And that's if she runs it again this weekend, it'll be eight tying all time with Marion Jones. So it, to expect her to run that fast for the second time in two weeks, it doesn't seem wise. So she carry Richardson too. I mean, the times may not be what we want, particularly as John said, we don't know how fast this track is for sprinting. But I also would like to interrupt here with some bad news about the meet. The meet is. Sunday, correct, John? Just want to compare my stats. I've gone to weather.com, which is not my favorite weather thing. If you want the most amazing weather app, folks, go to download Dark Sky. It costs like $3.99. It's amazing. For some reason, I, since I'm on my desktop, I'm not looking at my Dark Sky app. But the Sunday weather forecast, 10 to 20 mile per hour winds in Palo Alto on Sunday. 
That's pretty significant. Well, we could see some super times in the spring. Well, I guess it then. would be good if assuming they. That's Stanford. Does it has it ever windy in Stanford? I guess I'm always used to seeing meets there at night where the wind is, dies down. We're never there in the day. I've never been, been to a drag meet in the day. What time's the meet? Ends at the final event ends at like 3 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, I'm on Dark Sky. Unfortunately, Dark Sky, which I trust more than Weather.com. Well, it has wind speed and then wind miles per hour. At two seven mile an hour winds, wind gust of up to twelve, with the wind picking up. So by four p.m. it's supposed to be fourteen mile an hour gust. By six p.m. fifteen mile an hour gust. So weather, the wind could be an issue. Okay, well that meets over at three. So whatever, it's relevant. Whatever. I know, but it's saying the wind will be picking up throughout the afternoon. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. So let's let's talk. Speaking of Olympic champions, we've got two two more of them on the men's side who we've barely seen at all. The last few years, Justin Gatlin, 37 years old. This is his first Diamond League since May 2018. He's the reigning world champion, in case you guys forgot, in the 100 meters. He's running against Christian Coleman in that race. And then in the men's 400, no, uh, Michael Norman's the headliner. But we've also got LaShawn Merritt. Apparently, LaShawn Merritt is still alive and running track races because he's entered in this race as well. He's 32 years old. This is his first Diamond League since May 2017. I mean, do, are these guys, are they washed up? Does Merritt or Gatlin have anything left? I mean, this is the first time Gatlin's faced Coleman since the 2017 World Championship final when they went 1-2. So what do you guys make of this? Well, the question I have is which one of them is more likely to test positive after the race? No. Test positive again, you mean, right? Yeah, that, that was a joke. But um, <laughs> there's actually a few interesting things about this. One, it reminds me of the age. I mean, Gatlin's 37. I've always said this. You can run like the best of your career, like right near the end of your career. But when you fall off, you fall off hard. So you, you could PR at like 35 and then be done at completely done at 38. Like once it goes, it goes, you like fall off a cliff. But um, Merritt, he is 32, but he'll be 33 tomorrow. So he'll be 33 at the day of the race. I, I would say that he will be more relevant just because I've never seen a 37 year old sprinter. You know, th- think about it. If Usain Bolt comes back and, and competes till he's thirty-seven, like what Olympics would that take us through? Would that get us through twenty twenty-eight? Well, he is. I think he's thirty-two now. Yeah, he's thirty-two now. Oh, so wow. by the time of the twenty twenty Olympics, he would be roughly thirty-four because it take he always turns his birthday's in August, so he always he would be thirty-three turning thirty-four. So twenty twenty-four, he would be thirty-seven turning thirty-eight. Yeah, I, so. I said 28, 28. I want him as a 42-year-old in Tokyo. Do you want him doing the Moline Audi, just competing for like... Was it? Didn't she start competing for Slovakia or something like that? Uh, no, by then they'll legalize drugs and he'll be winning again. Sorry, Moline Audi was competing for Slovenia from 2002 to 2012. She was 52 competing for Slovenia at some meets. That's that's absolutely absurd. It would be full circle. He, he made his stage on the Asian Games and then he could end his ga- end his career at the Asian Games. I'm not going to be so quick to write off Gatlin. I mean, I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to win worlds again this year because the hundred's just gotten really good. Coleman's better than he was, and we've got other guys in there as well. But you know, he won worlds at age 35. The guy knows how to peak. I'll give him that. He knows how to get in shape for USA's and runs well. Like I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what he does, but I think Coleman has to be the heavy favorite in this race. Yeah, as a 45-year-old, I want to take back what I said, saying that I thought Merritt would just be better because he's younger. I mean, has Merritt even raced this year? I mean, Gatlin's been running pretty well, 10.01, 10 flat in two different races. Like, that's legit. He's going to go sub-10. So 
I have a lot of confidence in him. He was the world champion. I mean, long Sean Merritt hasn't been really relevant. I mean, when's the last? Well, I guess he got a silver in, in 2015. Well, no, 20, so 2017, he made the U.S. team in the 400. He finished, uh, he won the pre-classic actually in 2017. So just two years ago, he made the team in the 400 and made the semifinals at USA's. So he had to buy, he didn't even, sorry, he, he didn't make the semifinals at USA's. He didn't run USA's in the 400 because he had to buy as a diamond league champion from the year before. He made the semifinals at Worlds. He didn't break 45 flat at Worlds, but and then last year, he didn't really run very much. And then this year, he's run one 200. He ran 20-51 in Montverde, Florida on June 8th. So I think in terms of who's going to have a more successful run at the pre-classic, it's probably going to be Justin Gatlin. But Gat- Gatlin didn't break 10 last year. I mean, he's run 10 flat this year. So, I mean, the question is, you know, can he become a sub? To win Worlds, you got to be a 9-8 guy, 9-7 guy. I just don't think he's going to get there, but this year, I mean, he's a veteran, so there's no bonus points for running fast in June. So it'd be fine if he sort of rounds into form by July and gets ready for worlds, which are late September. I mean, he doesn't even need to, he doesn't even need to round into form for USA's because he's got the buy to worlds. So he can just focus on getting ready for world championships, which is a nice advantage for him. Yeah. So I'm going to give him more of the benefit of the doubt there, but I mean, the 400, it's really more about Michael Norman. What can he do? I mean, he crushed my guy, Noah Lyles, who I never wanted to lose a 200-meter. As the self-proclaimed leader of the Noah Lyles fan club, it was a very tough loss. Um, The fan club's recuperating. But we got to tip our cat to Michael Norman. And, I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. Maybe we should have a sprinter on the podcast as a guest. That's what we should do, guys. That's the goal for second half of the season. I should say for next week, but maybe Noah Lyles or Michael Norman on the podcast. But, I mean, these guys, that's the only knock on pre is I feel like sometimes, well, there's no 200 this year, but, you know, you don't have Noah Lyles, who's, well, I was going to say he's the biggest name in U.S. sprinting right now, but he got beat by Michael Norman, and you got Christian Coleman, but, you know, those three guys between them are, are pretty amazing and very bright future for U.S. sprinting. Yeah, I mean, Lyles ran pre last year, so I I think it's there's no 200 on the schedule, but you get Mike and Lorman, you get Coleman, that's good. Women's 200 is actually pretty good. Elaine Thompson stepping up to run that. Selwide Nasser from Bahrain, who's been running great in the 400 this year. She's stepping down to run that. Daphne Skippers, who's the reigning world champion. Tori Bowie's in there. Dina Asher Smith is in there. Uh, that, that's going to be a fun race as well. And then what men's 110 hurdles. I mean, you have Daniel Roberts, the. Uh, NCAA runner-up. He actually he's not listed in the start list anymore, so he must have withdrawn. He was supposed to be running, but he, he's not in there anymore. So forget I said that. <laughs> but you've got the the men's four hundred hurdles, uh, right, Benjamin? That now that unfortunately you got another scratch in there because Abdurrahman Samba was supposed to run. He's not entered anymore, so it's sort of just most likely will be Benjamin for the win, see how fast he goes. But he's a, he's a fast young star that I think people are going to be interested in seeing race. So, I mean, pretty much all the, every track race at pre, you're going to get some very good names. And it's just interesting. How fast is that track for sprinting? How cooperative will the wins be? That's sort of what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. It's going to be a great meet. I mean, look at them, even the men's hundred. It's basically 
a preview of USA's. You got Cameron Burrell, Christian Coleman, Justin Gatlin, Craven Gillespie, Michael Rogers. Good stuff. So, should we talk about message boards, threads of the week, or deleted threads of the week, or what we most enjoyed about last week? Enough about Pre, I think. Well, I'm I'm worried we haven't mentioned Alberto yet on the podcast this week, and I think that's a rule that you know. Do we have any way to shoehorn him into any of these conversations? I thought I think no. Actually, you mentioned him when uh, Centurits. We talked about Centurits leaving Alberto, so that's our weekly quota for Alberto Salazar. What, what did you find interesting on the message board this week, Robert? Do you have anything, any thread in particular? Well, from a few weeks ago, we didn't really talk about this after NCAAs. And, and for some reason, I was looking for message board threads and I saw this. So this is from a few weeks ago, but it was called Brigham Young University success in distance running is due to the Latter-day Saints community's discipline and work ethic. So we talked about how the BYU guys are all older. A lot of them are, what, seventh year seniors, right? Two years for the Some of them, not all of them. But Clayton Young, NCAA 10,000 champ, is a seventh-year senior. I said a lot of them. Okay, significant number. Six years is very common there. And I, I certainly think that age helps. I mean, I, I'm you know all about making sure that just things are fair. You know, But I often point out in Let's Run in the week that was that life isn't fair. But it should be tried. We try to make things as fair as possible. Like a man competing in women's competition is not fair. That's why I try to protect that. A Paralympian running against an able-bodied Olympian is not fair either. It's just a different sport. So read the week that was and read about the 17-year-old. Two 17-year-olds this year have run 145 for 800. One of them is a Paralympian. We have a video in the week that was. It's amazing to watch him. He can't. Like, he runs his first 200 in like over 30 seconds, and then he runs 145. Well, in this race, he probably ran like 148 or something, but it's pretty amazing. But anyways, back to BYU. People were debating, you know, the lifestyle. And I think there is something to this. Like, I mean, yes, BYU is at altitude. Yes, they have older runners, but most of the recruits are all from the Utah area. I would say that they have greater success than you would think anticipate based on just the level of the recruits and the age of the recruits. And I think some of it does belong to the lifestyle. Um, You know, the Mormons do not drink, at least they're not supposed to, alcohol or even caffeine. So, you know, it's not like they're out at a club carousing. They're getting a lot of rest and stuff like that. And Weldon, I actually look at your career. When Weldon was a terrible Ivy League runner, fifth in Ivy League, and then fourth as a professional, everyone's like, oh, he moved to altitude. He started training high mileage with John Kellogg and doing all that. I'm like, yes, that's true. And I think we were late developers. You know, it's always about when you stop improving. But I also think, yeah, he moved away from Washington, D.C. He quit his job. He went all in on the running. But he also, he wasn't going out in Georgetown on the weekends. He was just running. And I think that when you're young, you don't realize the partying does impact you. I, I'm not saying college coaches, when the teams don't go well, love to blame the kids for drinking and saying that's why they sucked. But I think that it does impact you. And I, I think BYU deserves some credit for that. I, what do you guys think about that? The other thing about Weldon is in Washington, D.C., he was also Andy Downing was there. He was a Georgetown runner. Andy left and moved to like Wisconsin or something and beat Alan Webb and won the USA's in like, what year was that? 2001 or something? Robert, I th- I think you just, I think this is sort of an insult to some of these other programs. Like BYU, okay, they're not allowed to drink alcohol, but like Stanford, you really think Grant Fisher is just going out and hitting the clubs every Saturday night? Like if you're in a top tier distance program, especially one with a really good team like Stanford, Colorado, NAU, these guys aren't going out at the weekends and drinking alcohol a lot. They might maybe after like the season's over, they'll hit, you know, get a bar, hit up a bar or two. But like 
during the season, I'm guessing most of these guys are pretty religious about getting their their rest and getting their recovery and not drinking and not doing anything. I mean, these guys, they're essentially pro athletes, you know? And I remember talking to Syracuse, the guys at Syracuse and Brian Bell, and he was essentially like, yeah, look, he's militant about protecting their culture. And when they won in CAAs, like, he's like, look, if we see someone slacking off, the other guys are going to call out, call them out on it. So I don't know. I think the instance of like these top tier runners, just like being held back by drinking, I think of the power programs, maybe in the nineties, that was the case, but I don't think it's the case anymore. No pun intended, John, when you said religious, right? Mm, right. Uh, it's, it's probably like too simplistic to make it one thing or the other. Um, I do remember back in the day in college going to Penn relays one year and we ran the race and then Arkansas was like dominating everything. And somehow next thing I knew a bunch of like a uh, Robert, I'm pretty sure you were there too. It was like some Yale runners and some Princeton runners and some Arkansas runners, runners were in the back of a car heading to Atlantic city. Um, and we go to Atlantic city, we party through the night and we're like exhausted and heading back and Arkansas is like the number one team in the country. And we're like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. I, I got the heps next weekend. And then, these guys are like, you know, we got we to gotta be back for 8 a.m. long run. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, some of these, some of the runners back in the day, you know, the 80s used to hear stories like these guys were working long jobs and still running two eight marathons and still throwing back some beers on the weekend. So it's too simplistic. But the more simple your life is, and if it's prohibited doing some things that may be detrimental to running, like it just may, you know, they're doing those things less than somebody else. But uh, you know, it may help someone to, you know, have a couple of beers and blow off some steam. So it, it's, it could work both ways, but the, the Mormon lifestyle can't hurt except, you know, you want some caffeine before a race. It's a proven performance enhancer. If you Google New York times, caffeine, Weldon Johnson, I'll be the first word in the New York times article on caffeine. So imagine if you gave one of those guys who's never had caffeine in his life, like a little espresso, right? Before a 10 K. I mean, we, we might have some new American record holders. Wow. Also, I, I wanted to share one so- story on this topic. Um, last year at the pre-classic, I was asking, I asked Matthew Centurits, what was his favorite memory of a race he had at Haywood Field? Because they were knocking it down. And he told me it was the 2011 USA meet when he won his first US title. And it was a surprise because he upset Bernard Lagarde. And he said after that race, he went out in Eugene with some of his friends. And they were, you know, partying, having a good time. And then he's like, that was the first time I ever went out in college. And you don't really, you know, Centrowitz, I, you know, I was kind of surprised. I was like, really? And he's like, he's just, you know, to get that good. All right. There are some guys who can get away with it. I'm sure Centro could have been very good if he decided to, you know, party it up in college, but he was dedicated. I'm sure. I don't think Galen Rupp, I doubt Galen Rupp was going out and, you know, when he was dominating the NCAAs of Oregon, I doubt he was going out every weekend either. I mean, most of these guys, I think when you get to that level, they're going to be pretty serious about it. Maybe once a big meet's over, but you know, that, that story stuck with me. I think a lot of kids, you know, college kids, this that they don't know any moderation. It's like all or nothing. Like some college kid can go out and go to a party and have a beer or two and totally go for a long run the next day. But I think a lot of college kids haven't learned how to drink responsibly. And, you know, maybe it's changing as more work gets out. Mm. Oh, and the, the funny detail I forgot from that story was uh, at the end of the night, Centro said he asked the other guys he went out with. He's like, is going out always that fun? Because they'd had like just a wild night because he was the U.S. champ and they were all celebrating him. And they were like, no, no, it's not usually always that fun. And he was like, good, because if it was always that fun, I would have felt like I really missed out in college. So uh, 
yeah, I'm sure he's had, he's had a few things to celebrate since then as well. So whatever happened to the Centro, we're going to have a Centro senior book um, club, Robert, you were going to lead that thing He, You know, there was the book written on Centro senior. I haven't read it. You guys said it was a great book. There's some parting in that book from what I understand, but uh, should we bring back the Centro senior book club? But before 2019, we didn't follow through on our commitments. Now we're holding ourselves accountable. As a father, I have to, I'm responsible for more than just myself and my wife. So, yeah, we probably should. Hopefully they'll make that into a movie. There's some rumor of that. That would be cool. One other thread that caught my attention this week was British commentary called pre-chunky at the 1972 Olympic final. Where was the outrage then? And it was a pretty clever, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk recently about the um, comments made about Ali Ostrander's height and weight during the NCAA championships. And this was an interesting thread saying like, look, in the 1972 Olympic men's final in the 5,000, literally as pre was making his move to the, to the front, I think with about 500 meters to go, the, the announcers like in the chunky American Prefontaine moves to the front. You know, I, I just think like, look, people there's, you, you treat these things differently with men and women. That's just the way it is. It's like, there's certain words that black people can use and white people can use. I mean, but it, it was a good clip and, and just to, to rewatch that race made me chuckle. And along those lines, folks, I actually got in touch with Mike J. He was the stadium announcer. He is really good stadium announcer and I, I found out what he actually said about Ali Ostrander's weight. So Ali Ostrander, when she made um, her move to the lead, I think she made a big move with two laps to go. And Mike J said, and the five foot three, 110 pound, 200, two time defending champion has moved to the front. And Mike told me that his intention was that he would come across as like, she's small, but mighty. And apparently Ostrander and a number of women in the race, you know, all heard this and were, were upset by it. And I, I think it just shows you that the weight issue and maintaining a proper weight is very hard for a lot of women runners, particularly. So they're sort of, you know, the, the men runners might not even realize that, you know, this was said, but the women definitely did. Um, the interesting thing to me was, you know, Ali made a point of that he got his, her weight wrong. So he, her actual listed weight on Wikipedia is five one one hundred pounds. So he made her bigger than she really was. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but just getting the facts out there. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like moving forward, men are going to learn to be more sensitive about this, which is good. Um, and, you know, I, I think that I'm glad the pitchforks haven't come out for Mike because he does such a good job. I've actually got the pre audio. Here it is. So there it was, the 1972 Olympic final. Chunky American. I'd, I'd like to know, I'd love to know from in the post race interview if someone asked Pre what his thoughts would be on being called chunky. I'm sure he would have had a funny quote uh, about it. He'd probably be more upset by call, being called fourth place than being, by called, being called chunky. But different times. Definitely different times. When I was watching that race, it reminded me of like pre-ran that last lap, the way I see high schoolers run races. Like if I'm coaching now, I'm just like conserve energy, conserve energy, conserve energy and make one move. Like pre was like wildly making me two or three huge moves in that last lap. I mean, one with 500 to go and then a big move on the back stretch, and then another move. And then he realized they were coming from him for third. He was way up in third and he, he just, you know, kept dug into the line. So I think in the last 
45, 50 years, people have learned to sort of run a much boring, more, you know, more boring race, basically. All right, guys. We sh- I have an email of the week. We also have the thread of, week, of the week, somewhat related to this, you know, college athletes, runners. Morgan McDonald has gone pro. That is the most popular thread of the week. Kind of interesting. That, John, and also, John, tell me if you know anything about this. My old coach said Ron Roger Bannister did not run sub four first. He said a few weeks earlier someone did it at the Dartmouth track. John, did you ever heard this before? <laughs> I've, I've never heard this story. It sounds like bullshit to me. It's like, was his name Quentin Cassidy? Did he show up and run it in the workout in the middle of the night of the night after doing you know sixty by four hundred a few weeks earlier? Like, I'm sorry, I don't even, I, I just don't see that happening. And then the fourth thread, people are still obsessed with this Frank Meza guy. Uh, who allegedly ran a 253 marathon at age 70 at the LA Marathon. I think it's pretty clear for most people who've looked into it, they think he cheated. But it's, I'm just amazed at how popular those threads are. But the email of the week is related to last week on the podcast, we had a discussion. Who would you rather be, Josh Kerr, Grant Fisher, or um, Drew Hunter? And the email of the week is from Tim Jones. He wins a free pair of Hoka shoes. He chose the Carbon X. And he, he's just comparing fish, Hunter and Fisher. And he says, this is an easy one for more reasons than running. The answer is Drew Hunter. And let's run.com thought, here are some quick thoughts why. Challenges Fisher will face. Number one, Bowerman Track Club. We've seen Jager a consistent threat in the steeple, and the Bowerman women are always on fire. Otherwise, the Bowerman Track Club men see steady improvement. We have yet to see any of them metal threats. Then point number two, Fisher needs to race more, not less. Fisher used the same tactic in almost every race of his college career, and now he's going to a group where they, he will race max 10 times a year. I don't see him exploring himself as a racer in Bowerman Track Club. Number three, Nike reduction clauses. This will always be in the back of Fisher's mind. He will either race safe to keep top dollar on his contract or fade under the pressure. Interesting. All right, now he says upsides for Hunter leading a team. Hunter has built a team around him and they look to him for inspiration. A quick follow of Hunter and Tim million the lead on Instagram shows that Hunter takes great pride in creating an environment for him and his team to get better. Even if Hunter struggles, he can see his teammates improve and trust that it's, that it is a process he believes in that has caused their success. Then he, Next point, entrepreneur. The Tim and Elite group has started a clothing line for Adidas. For Hunter, this means that he knows that it, he is adding value to an apparel company because he is selling apparel. I suspect that takes a little pressure up Hunter performance-wise. Hunter has created a new path to running fast and chasing his dreams. I believe the excitement he's created with Tim and Elite will carry him to more success. So thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on it. I appreciate the email. I'm glad he got a pair of shoes, but come on, buddy. First of all, if we're going to talk about things, he's selling apparel. Does anyone go to this Instagram account? They're selling like 100 bucks. I mean, I actually went there after I got you showed me the email, Weldon. They got a cool logo, but come on, dude. He's selling like $200 worth of apparel and thinks that this is some massive thing. No. If we're going to talk about things outside of track, he said that's – well. what was the exact quote that he had about not just performance? Well, if I'm choosing between the two, honestly, I, I would pick to be Grant Fisher because he has a Stanford degree, and in 15 years, you're going to want to have that Stanford degree. So but if we're talking about just running, which runner would you rather be? I, I, I thought that there was a bit of a, a cheap shot about the uh, discounting of Jerry Schumacher's work with the Bowerman Track Club. Matt Tegenkamp wasn't a, a world medalist contender. Didn't he get fourth, John? Yeah, by like 
less than a sec, less than half a second. He barely missed out on a medal. Ryan Hill medaled at World Indoors. What? Who is? I mean, Tom Schwartz. I have a lot of respect for him. What has he ever done with professionals? Like Chris Zelensky had a chance. Look at all the women he's done. Like you can't just discount the women's success. He coached someone to. He coached an American woman to win the New York City Marathon. Courtney Frerichs got silver at the World Championships. Like Emily Infeld. Jerry Schumacher is one of the most decorated American coaches of all time. The idea that you would say, this is how it was listed. Challenges Fisher will face. And Bowerman Track Club was listed as one of the challenges. Again, I appreciate the email, Tim. But like the idea that Bowerman is a challenge that Grant Fisher has to overcome to medal at Worlds is ludicrous. It it drives me nuts. Also, like Jerry's now viewed as this women's guru coach, whereas five years ago, he didn't coach women. So people coach with the talent level they have. So Mo Ahmed... He was close to winning a medal, right? He was sixth at the last Worlds, but he was up there, like in that league group. I think he was fourth at the 2016 Olympics, right? I have to double check that. He just broke the Canadian record. Oh, correct. Ran sub thirteen. Fourth in the 2016 Olympics. Fourth in the 2016 Olympics. He's had no other medal contenders. Yeah, because, just because Rupp gets second or third, like he is God's gift. Mohamed gets fourth, and he sucks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then wait, Nike. So he said Nike reduction clauses. This will always be in the back of Fisher's mind. He will either race safe to keep top dollar on his contract or fade under the pressure. I've never spoken to a pro who thinks about reduction clauses during a race. They're like, oh no, I better close this lap in 53 or else I'm going to get reduced. Like, <laughs> come on, man. You just get out there and race. No, I, I, I will defend this though. Grant needs to race more often. Definitely. But this guy has, has, has reminded me, and I, I've got a little, you guys can see, I, I'm going to walk around now because I'm getting old and forgetful. I've got this little notebook. I'm going to write down things for the podcast as I think of them during the week. And I think we need to announce a couple of NCAA violations that have sort of been uncovered on this podcast. One happened last week. Grant Fisher signing with the Bowman Track Club to me should be ruled as an NCAA violation. Conflicts of interest there are, are, are deep, folks. Grant Fisher's agent is Tom Ratcliffe. Tom Ratcliffe's son, Thomas, runs for Stanford, as does Jerry Schumacher's son runs for Stanford. So they 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 sign Grant, and then, then they're going to get the son, and they're going to get Thomas. It's all convoluted. Seems NCAA, look into this. Oh, that was your grand conspiracy last week, right? They're only signing. They only signed Sean McGordy and Grant Fisher so they can get Thomas Ratcliffe when he turns pro, right? <laughs> Wait, Schumacher's kids on the Stanford team? I was wondering what happened to him. He was really good two years ago. Other NCAA violation, this is from several weeks ago. So remember the great story? We had Stephanie Bruce on as a guest of the podcast, and her dad died. She didn't have money to go to the college. She was going to drop out after her freshman year. And an article came out in the local paper, and some local benefactor saw it, and it's like, no, nah, I want this to go to, go to college. And he just paid her way. And I was like, as a former college coach, I was like, how was that allowed? I'm surprised NCAA didn't stop that. I mean, it could just be a big donor. They wanted to get an extra scholarship. Yeah, I mean, we, we all know that the, the boosters of the UC Santa Barbara uh, track and field program are just notorious for uh, their, their corruptness. So clearly they were they really want to build up the UCSB team to be uh, one of the best in the nation. So I'm kind of joking about both these, but... While we're talking about the Bowerman Track Club, let's reward the people with a little gossip here at the end of the show. John will probably think it's irresponsible, but there's a lot of buzz, folks, about some shocking coaching developments. Now, what's being speculated is the UNC coaching job is open. People are saying on the message board that a big-name West Coast person who is not currently coaching college is interested in the job and that it will shock you if this ends up being accepted. So there's a number of interesting theories there, and they all involve the Bowman Track Club. 
Well, not all of them. Well, actually, all the theories I heard do in some way involve the Bowman Track Club. But Shailene Flanagan, who is a UNC alum and has expressed an interest in coaching, would be a candidate. Some think that she might not be hired since she has no real formal coaching experience. But, hey, I didn't have any coaching experience. I got hired at Cornell. So she could take the job. Jerry Schumacher could come back in college and they could kind of take the job together. Or maybe Pascal Dobert could take the job with Shailene together. So some, some – some combo of Jerry by himself, Pascal Dubo or Shailene, any of those three would all be good fits there. It's kind of interesting. Or there's also some talk that Chris Miltenberg of Stanford would take the job. Oh, by the way, Jerry Schumacher, while he's not an alum of UNC, did coach there. It was his first coaching job was at UNC before. So he's familiar with the school. And there's some talk about Chris Miltenberg being interested in the job. And I don't know if that's true. People are like, why would you leave Stanford? A lot of coaches leave Stanford. There's a lot of, it's very expensive to live there. There's a lot of pressure. So if he left there, some were speculating, well, if he go, if Miltonburg goes to North Carolina, Stanford's obviously a prime job. Would Jerry Schumacher then move down to Stanford to coach his son? So dominoes, folks, fascinating stuff. Who knows if it's true? We'll find out soon. Wow, this is like the uh, equivalent of NBA free agency. Speculation, where will KD land? Who will be coaching UNC cross country. They'll probably just hire some boring candidate that no one, ever, no one of us has ever heard of, but it is, it's fun to speculate. Even. John, I'm glad your reaction. I thought you were going to say I'm, I'm gossiping. This is just like the talk shows. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's somewhat re- irresponsible, but then I think I think about it. It's like, look, we sec- speculate where KD, people are like, oh, KD is going to sign with the Nets, you know, and we know that. It's, it's like, no one really knows. No one knows who Kawhi Leonard's going to sign with, but we speculate about that. So, yeah, who could get the UNC job? You know, Shalane Flanagan has said she wants to coach. Does she want to? What she said in the past is she wants to coach, basically start coaching the Bowman women, I think, or like work with the Bowman women as a coach. But if they want to hire her to be the UNC director or whatever, I think, you know, she doesn't have, you said she doesn't have formal coaching experience. She's done some, I mean, she helps out. Like she's as close, she does some sort of coaching with the Bowman right now, especially when she's hurt. You know, she was in World Cross. Uh, helping out with that. Oh, that obviously didn't go that well for the Bowman women, but I don't know how much blame you can really place on Shalane for that. But she'd be she's one of the most prominent track and field alums North Carolina has, if not the most prominent. So I think it would be an interesting hire. I think people, young women, would definitely be, especially right now, that'd be, that would be such a recruiting advantage to have Shalane Flanagan as the face of your program. But who knows? Who maybe this is just all hogwash, and they're going to stay up in Beaverton like they they've been there for a while. So I don't know. We'll we'll see where the dominoes fall. Okay, guys, I think that's a wrap. Podcast number twenty six, the first of the summer. It's been a good first half of the year. What one thing we have not talked about? Real quick, we gave much praise to Hoka. Thank you for the sponsorship of the Ultra Marathon scene. But this weekend is the big one for the U.S. races. Western States is happening. Jim Walmsley, who we featured on a podcast, will be running. He's the course record holder. I assume he'll be going for another course record. And of course, it depends. A lot of it depends on the weather. But he set the course record last year, right when the weather wasn't good. So, be interesting to follow that one. So, thank you, Hoka. That was your 2019 Western States preview. <laughs> yeah, we said we're going to start previewing these things. Okay, I'm pretty confident Walmsley will win the men's race, guys. Go to irunfar.com. Looks like they have a women's preview up. Oh, Courtney DeWalter's in it. She will win as well. There you go. Those are my predictions. The men's, actually, I, I read their preview beforehand. I've not read the women's yet. But I feel like those are very strong, dominant picks. 
Yeah, but the thing is, the ultra marathon's such a crapshoot. I mean, I remember last year, people were like, oh, UTMB, it's Killian Jornet and Jim Wansley, and then neither of them won. It's like so, so much stuff can go wrong. It's like if we think the best marathoner in the world outside of Kipchoge wins the marathon, like maybe half percent, half 50% of the time, or like, you know, however much you want to make as, as a favorite, the favorite in a marathon, how often do they win? It's not that high. I think it's even lower in ultra marathon speaking as someone you know who doesn't know too much about the sport but that's sort of my sense on it yeah i think those people courtney dewalt i mean jim walmsley certainly seems like the favorite he broke the course record last year i think he has the highest upside for sure but i don't think you're gonna i wouldn't call anyone an ultra a lock but just because of so much can go wrong i disagree in the sense that these fields are nearly as deep as like a london marathon walmsley's so much better than like the sixth place person that but anything can go wrong. He did drop out, you know, what he never won till last year. So I think it showed John has a good point. And we did it. We got John to discuss the ultra marathon. Hoka's marketing effort has come through. Hoka, well done. Well done. Well done. Yeah. All you have to do is pay Robin and Weldon tons of money and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Just- John, you know, he didn't write any of the Hoka ultra marathon articles, but he became interested in it. And I guess they were successful because we actually talked about it on our own, but I think that's a wrap for this week. Podcast number 26 in the books, first of the summer. And we do want your feedback. So go to let's run.com slash podcast. No S I guess. No S everybody. Well, I don't know. We'll have a way for you. Email me, maybe a form. You can give us feedback. What do you want? More guests? What do you want to have? And also please, if you haven't reviewed your shoe or given us a rating, um, you can do one or the other this week. Give us a rating and a review on iTunes or go to letsrun.com slash shoes and you can review a shoe for us. We'd really appreciate that. And you can also save money. Type in your favorite shoe, find the lowest price on it and buy it from our partners. But until next week, John, enjoy the pre-classic. Weldon Johnson signing off.